Welcome to Bitcoin Sermons, the podcast that preaches how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus. It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's like the elephant in the room that not many are really talking about, even though it's so obvious. Well, whether you're a Bitcoiner or a Christian or both, this podcast has something for you. In today's episode, I would like to go over the book of Habakkuk with you. It came up in my reading this week, and I found it particularly fitting to the time that we are living in and the context of this podcast, which is about how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus. Some other interesting topics came forward this week. And as this is the 40th episode of this podcast, I have been wondering if the Lord might have a special message for this particular episode. And so I'm excited to get into the material today and just see what comes out of it. So again, let's go to the book of Habakkuk. It's a relatively short book, just three chapters long. So we're going to just take in the whole prophecy and try to understand it in its complete context here. In Habakkuk 1 verse 1, it says, The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. So the burden, meaning the prophecy, which was on his shoulders to bear to the people. Verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry? And thou wilt not hear, even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. So here we see the context being a time of difficulty for Habakkuk and, and his people. And in particular, he's crying out because of the violence, and he's looking for the salvation, which seems to be long in coming. Violence, I want to point out from the context of the world we live in today does not only mean violence as in bodily harm that we typically think of. For example, we might think of the war in Ukraine as violence. We might think of shootings on the streets as violence. But violence simply means acting against the will of others by force. And when you understand that, then you recognize that violence has a much larger part in the daily lives of everyone in the world today. In particular, when it comes to the realm of finances, the powers of government are engaged in violence on a continual basis, taking by force what does not belong to them through taxation and inflation, unjust taxation, just to be clear. Taxation that is not agreed upon or voluntary on the part of the people. Now, just like in old times when an army would come through an area, they would essentially burden the community with their needs for food and water and things like that. And that was kind of more or less accepted by society because the army needed 
those resources to accomplish its purposes of protecting the nation or fighting against enemies and so forth. And so it was somewhat of a social system to support the army, but it was also involuntary to the degree that the army had the physical, the military might, and the civilians really couldn't resist any demands made by the army. And so whether it was for accommodations or food or whatever the case may be, the people were obliged to support the army, if not willingly, then by the violence of that army. And so in the same way today, governments have at their disposal the army, the intelligence services, the political and financial power. They have all the power to require of the citizenry anything they desire. And because of that power of violence, there's nothing the people can do to resist it. Either they give willingly or it is taken away from them by violent force. And so here we are just in verse 2 of this vision of Habakkuk, and we can see how it fits 100% with the scenario that we live in today all over the world. And similarly to how Habakkuk is crying out here, and salvation seems to be long in coming, that's the same experience that we have had in recent years as we've seen the violence of the world powers increasing. Verse 3, Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance for spoiling and violence are before me? And there are that raise up strife and contention, or there are those who raise up strife and contention. Ask yourself how much strife and contention in the world today is raised up by wicked people. Verse 4, Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Doesn't that describe today's world? The law is slacked. In other words, it's loose. It's bent. It's not respected. How many times do you hear in the context of America that the Constitution is under attack or that the Constitution is no longer being respected? The law is slacked. And judgment doth never go forth. In other words, people are not brought to justice. The wicked compass or encircle surround the righteous. Isn't that how it is today? You have the pride movement and all sorts of other activist movements that overwhelm the media and essentially surround the righteous on all sides with their agendas. Therefore, wrong judgment proceedeth. The righteous are condemned while the wicked are justified. Wrong judgment proceedeth. That is an accurate description of the courts of the world today. Verse 5, Behold ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. So now the tune is changing, so to speak, and God is answering Habakkuk here, and saying that in his days, now he was crying out because 
Salvation seemed to be long in coming, but the Lord answers him and says, In his days he will do a work that you won't believe. Watch, watch what he does to the heathen and be amazed and marvel. So that's where we're at. God is now in our days, the days that are like Habakkuk described, where there is violence and spoiling, that's the taking of wealth by force, strife and contention, slackness of law, wrong judgment. In those days, our days, God is doing something amazingly marvelous. Verse 6, For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. So this is speaking of the Babylonian captivity. The Chaldeans, the Babylonians, were sent by God, described by him as a bitter and hasty nation, but they were sent by God to possess dwelling places that did not belong to them. Verse 7, they are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from afar. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. And they shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. So this is describing a merciless nation, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that would take the land by storm and eat up the people. And it even describes the methods that they will use here of heaping up dust or piling up dirt, making ramps of earth to take the walled cities. So interestingly, what is described here in response to the plea of Habakkuk is that God is saying that what is happening has been of his doing. Before salvation comes, he is describing here the captivity And so this is giving us to understand the complete picture. Not only is Habakkuk crying out for the violence and the injustice, but God is confirming that Habakkuk is seeing things clearly and that it was of God that the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem. And why did God allow that? Because of what Habakkuk confessed in verse 3. Why dost thou show me iniquity? and cause me to behold grievance. It is because the people had turned away from the principles of God. But then, after God explains to Habakkuk that he is the one who is raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and that they are marching under his orders, then he indicates how the picture will change in verse 11. Then shall his mind change. So the mind of Chaldea. And he shall pass over and offend, imputing this his power unto his God. So God is saying that the Chaldeans will offend. They will do wrong and they will impute their power to their own false God. 
Now, interestingly, Habakkuk immediately understands this and recognizes God's justice. You see, in the way that God works, justice comes to the evildoers. And when his people practiced iniquity and grieved the Lord, he sent others, he raised up the Chaldeans to bring violence against them. But when the Chaldeans do not recognize that it is of God, and they attribute their power to themselves and to their own gods, the gods of their own making, and meanwhile, if his people repent, then the justice of God is to turn the tables against those Babylonians that he formerly raised up. And so Habakkuk understands this principle and how God works. And he says in verse 12, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine Holy One? We shall not die. So he recognizes that God is wise because age generally brings wisdom and he is from everlasting and he is unique in that. He is the Holy One, the Ancient of Days. Nobody else is that old and that wise. And therefore, he recognizes we shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. And, O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. So he recognizes now the role that God has for the Chaldeans and that their purpose is to accomplish judgment and to effect correction of his people. And that therefore, because the Lord has good intentions for his people, we shall not die. Can we apply that to the world today? Can we find hope and comfort in the fact that what is happening to the world today, the advances of the corrupt systems of the world, the global powers of the world, the unjust and evil influences that are given free reign, can we recognize that in some sense the Lord has allowed those things out of justice? He has allowed them for the punishment, for the judgment and correction of his people. How many of God's people have gone astray? How many have joined forces with wicked powers? How many have compromised on biblical principles, divine principles, for the sake of influence in this world? How many are practicing iniquity and grieving the Lord by turning away from his principles? It is a wonderful consolation to know that the Lord's judgments are for correction, and we shall not die. If God's purpose is to correct and heal his people through these means, then we can be sure we shall not die. It will be for our good, not for our detriment. But verse 13, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. That is very true, and that's why God is correcting his people, because when they practice the ways of evil and do iniquity, he cannot behold that. But the same is true for the wicked. And Habakkuk appeals to God, to his justice, saying, 
Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? In other words, if God is punishing his own people, why isn't he punishing the wicked kingdom of Chaldea, of Babylon, that is destroying his own people? Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and hold thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? And make us men as the fishes of the sea, as the creeping things that have no ruler over them. In other words, they're vulnerable. God's people, like the fishes of the sea and the animals, they have no ruler over them, no protector. They take up all of them with the angle. They catch them in their net and gather them in their drag. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Now, this is very interesting. So, God's people, the innocent, the, the ones who are more righteous than the wicked, even if they have sinned and there are grievances, it says here that the wicked take up all of them, all these fish of the sea, all men as fishes of the sea. They catch them in their net. It says all of them. They take up all of them. In other words, they sweep them. They sweep the sea with their net and gather them in their drag. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. The wicked are glad. They're happy because they've caught all the people of the world in their net. Now, it's almost too obvious here what this net represents. It's the internet, or more specifically, it's their internet. That's not to say the internet is evil in and of itself, but they are using the internet. They're using their networks. They're using the WhatsApps, the Signals, the Telegrams, the Facebooks, the TikToks, the YouTubes. They're using their net to gather in, to gather up all people, to bring them in like fish with the angle. They're fishing. They're angling and catching all people using their social networks. That is the way that the wicked are conquering the world today. That's a very apt description, much more so than it ever was in the time of Habakkuk. The prophets spoke more for our time than for their own time. Verse 16, Therefore they sacrifice unto their net, and burn incense unto their drag, because by them their portion is fat, and their meat plenteous. So, in other words, they worship their tools, their net, their dragnet, because that's how they get fat. That's how they feed themselves. Very apt description of today. Verse 17, Shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to slay the nations? Chapter 2, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So Habakkuk now understands how the Lord has answered him in chapter 1. He understands the implications. And now in chapter 2, he's turning to see what the Lord is going to do. In chapter 1, he complained of the state of the people and the oppression, the violence. And the Lord said, this is of my doing. I am sending the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, as punishment. But in the end, they won't honor me either. And Habakkuk understands that this means that the correction, the oppression, is of God. 
and that it is God's intention to correct his people through that oppression and that they will not die as a result. And so now with that encouragement in chapter 2, Habakkuk wants to understand more. He wants to accept the reproof and see how the Lord will answer. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. So the Lord is instructing Habakkuk here. Habakkuk has been trying to understand what's going on. And now he's he's beginning. He's beginning to understand. He understands that he's being reproved. And he sets his heart on humility. And he humbly seeks out the Lord and desires to hear what the Lord will say and to consider what he's going to answer to the reproof. And the Lord says to him to write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. So up to this point, Habakkuk was not writing the message, but now the Lord instructs him to do so, to make it plain upon tables, like tables of stone, like the Ten Commandments. Make it plain, simple, easy to understand, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision, this is verse 3, is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Very interesting. How long have you been seeing the visions and hearing the prophecies and wondering why they have not yet come true. But it emphasizes here, at the end, it shall speak and not lie. In other words, at the end, all these things will happen. Are we at the end? Now, at this point in the story, Habakkuk was not at the end. And so when it says that the vision is yet for an appointed time, we haven't come through the whole story of Habakkuk yet. But in the present day that we're living in, we are far more advanced. Babylon has already conquered the world. We have already been living in captivity for many, many years. You've heard recently about the 70 years that have been fulfilled with the reign of late Queen Elizabeth. And you've heard about the 70 years since the beginning of Israel and all these 70 year periods that refer to Israel's Babylonian captivity. And so we're at the end of that now, contrary to what Habakkuk is describing here. He is still looking forward to these events. So it's important to keep his perspective at the beginning of the Babylonian captivity in mind. But his vision that he received from God extends all the way to the end, to the time that we are living in today. And this vision, which was for him to come true in the future, is for us the present. Behold, verse 4, behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. In other words, the proud person is not upright, but the just shall live by his faith. Faith in this vision, you could say, that Habakkuk has been commanded to make plain on tables. Yea, also, verse 5, because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man, neither keepeth at home, who enlargeth his desire as hell, 
and is as death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations, and heapeth unto him all people. So what is the vision about? Verse 4 says it's about the one who is proud in contrast to the just. Pay attention to the exact words here. It's about pride versus the just who shall live by faith. Now verse 5 expounds upon the proud. It says, Yea, also, because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man. So again, it's talking about this soul which is lifted up. He is a proud man, neither keepeth at home. These are the Babylonians, okay, who enlargeth his desire as hell. Now hell here in the Hebrew thinking refers to the place, the disposal site in the city where the trash was burned and it always was burning. It never stopped burning because people kept on continually bringing their trash there and there was always fuel for the fire. That's the place they would call hell. And the point is that just as this place where you would bring the trash to be burned in the city or outside the city, just as this place burned forever, never stopped burning, and it expanded continually because people continually brought more and more trash day after day after day. It always was expanding and burning more and more material, always growing. And he uses this as a figure, as an illustration for Babylon, who is continually enlarging and expanding, conquering the world, burning the world, destroying the world. His desire as hell, or as this place that just burns more and more and more, and is as death and cannot be satisfied. In other words, just as death never ends, there will always be somebody dying. Death will never say, okay, that's enough. I, nobody else needs to die. That never happens. In the same way, he gathereth unto him all nations and heapeth unto him all people. So just like we read earlier that he gathers all the fish in his net, here it's reiterating that Babylon, this figurative nation, the Chaldeans, they gather all people in the same way that death eventually claims every soul. And then comes the contrast of the just who shall live by faith. Shall not all these, all these people that he heaped up unto him, shall not all these take up a parable against him and a taunting proverb against him and say, Woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. How long? And to him that ladeth himself with thick clay. Shall they not rise up suddenly that shall bite thee and awake that shall vex thee, and thou shalt be for booties unto them? So in verse 6 and 7 here, and it goes on, we're seeing that God is painting the other part of the picture, that the righteous, the just, who shall live by faith, and in fact all the people that Babylon has taken and gathered under his rule of death, all these people will turn against Babylon and taunt him and notice what exactly the taunt is. It says, Woe to him, to Babylon, representing the powers of the world today. Woe to them that increaseth that which is not theirs. Do we see that today? Do we see the nations taking what is not theirs? Increasing their wealth through unjust means, through taxation, through money printing, through inflation, through unfair 
laws that take advantage of the ignorance of the masses. Woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. This affirms that there is something that belongs to the people. And when that is taken away, that's unjust. There is something called property rights. There is something called personal property that the powers that be have no right to take because it is not theirs. How long, the people say, how long will Babylon do that? For seven shall they not rise up suddenly that shall bite thee and awake that shall vex thee. Are people awaking today? Are people waking up to what the world, what the government powers and the wealthy people behind them are doing? And it says that when they awake, or it implies that when they awake, those wealthy rulers shall be for booties. In other words, all their riches will be turned around and given to those who wake up and rise up and bite back. And why? Why will this happen? Verse 8, because thou, Babylon, hast spoiled many nations. You could read this almost directly to the United States. Because thou hast spoiled many nations, all the remnant of the people shall spoil thee. That's why. That's why the people will spoil Babylon. Because Babylon has spoiled many nations. Because of men's blood and for the violence of the land, for what they have done by force, that's the violence of the land, for the violence of the land, of the city, and of all that dwell therein. Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. Thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people, and hast sinned against thy soul. Again, this is an apt description of the terrible works that the United States has done over the years. Coveting, for one, setting his nest on high. Interestingly, it describes a nest like an eagle's nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. In other words, like how the United States has made itself great so that no other nation can do bad to it. Thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people and hast sinned against thy soul. How many people have been cut off? How many genocides have there been under the influence of a powerful nation and of those who pull the strings in this world? Verse 11, For the stone shall cry out of the wall, and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. Referring to the house of Babylon, Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood, and establish a city by iniquity. Notice it's talking about building and, and, and establishing, and the stones and timbers are what build or what establish. They are the parts that constitute the construction. And what is it that builds a city? It's the people. The people are the stones and the timber. And they cry out, Woe! to him that buildeth a town with blood, and establish a city by iniquity. In other words, by unjust actions, by killing others, and by robbing and taking by force what does not belong to them. Verse 13, Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire, and the people shall weary themselves? 
for very vanity. In other words, and this reflects very accurately the time we are in now, people are laboring in the very fire. In other words, you labor to build something, but if you're laboring in the fire, what you are building is being destroyed in the moment that you're building it. Isn't that how life has become today? You work and the money you earn is burned in the fire. Prices go up faster than you earn more money. You cannot save and what you do save becomes worthless. And the people shall weary themselves for very vanity. In other words, people become tired for nothing. For, for they, they work hard, but they accomplish nothing. This is not of the Lord of hosts. God does not want that. That is not God's way. That's not the way of Bitcoin. When you work in the fiat financial system, in the fiat world, the powers that be take your work. They take your wealth. They make it pointless to work. They burn up your wealth all the while you're laboring. And there's no point in working. This was made very plain with the situation in Argentina, where people literally said, it's better not to work. Verse 13 says, Behold, look, it is not of the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire, and the people shall weary themselves pointlessly. Verse 14, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is speaking of a change that we have not yet seen, a change that is coming very quickly, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And I think as we've seen in this podcast how Bitcoin reflects the character of his government. As a financial system, it embodies the principles that God stands for, the principles of private property, of sovereignty, of laboring without the fruits of your labors being burned up with inflation and money printing and taxes and without people becoming wearied in working for no benefit. Bitcoin reflects the glory of the Lord and that glory shall fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. That is the promise here. And we are living at the end of our Babylonian captivity, so to speak, in the days when this prophecy should be fulfilled. Woe, verse 15, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Thou art filled with shame for glory. Drink thou also, and let thy foreskin be uncovered. The cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee, and shameful spewing shall be on thy glory. Wow. Now, Babylon is described in the book of Revelation as having a cup full of wine and deceiving the nations with her wine. And that's described here. But what is also described in very graphic terms is that God will also give Babylon to drink of his own cup, the cup of his wrath, which will bring her to shame. Verse 17, For the violence of Lebanon shall cover thee, and the spoil of beasts which made them afraid, because of men's blood, and for the violence of the land, of the city, and of all that dwell therein. Again, this this violence is emphasized, this taking by force what does not belong to the people. 
that is given as the reason for God's wrath. Verse 18, What profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it? The molten image and a teacher of lies that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols. Now, these idols, which were made out of precious metals traditionally, don't do any good. There's no profit in them. They're worthless. And the comparison here is between the idols, which, by the way, were numerous. The false gods abounded, the number of false gods. These false gods, these idols, are representative of the many different currencies in the world. There are many of them, but they're all worthless. They're man-made. It's just printed money. There's nothing backing it. There's nothing of value. There's nothing profitable in them. And how is it that the governments who print this money out of nothing trust in this money? That's that's what he's saying here with this comparison with the idols. Because people in those days kept their wealth in the form of idols. If they had extra gold, they'd make it into an idol. And that was a way of preserving or, you know, keeping their wealth, storing their wealth. Today... You have a bank account and you put your dollars in it. It's the same thing. It's a it's man-made money. And how is it that the ones who make this money, the teachers of lies, trust in it? How stupid is that? Verse 19, Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake to the dumb stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. So, Here it's emphasizing how unvaluable it is because the wood is covered with gold and the stone is covered with silver. It's overlaid. It's plated, but there's no real value in it. It's just wood and stone. And furthermore, it's just dead. There's no breath in it. They're false gods. By contrast, you know, I mean, this is all describing the kinds of fiat currencies in the world. They're all worthless. They're all dead. They're all fake, just an outer covering over something worthless. But in contrast, Bitcoin has real value. We've covered in other episodes how it has the value of the life that Jesus Christ sacrificed for this world, insofar as the fact that 21 million coins represent the value of the whole world. There is true value there, but there is also life there because Jesus gave his life. He invested his life so that we would have life. And we are the living stones in his temple. In verse 20, comes exactly to that point. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Wow, that's deep. And a lot more could be elaborated on that. So let's just kind of take a step back and see what we've learned so far from chapter 1 and chapter 2. Chapter 1 spoke about the degradation, Habakkuk's observation of the iniquity, the grievances of Israel, and the violence that was afflicting the nation. And the Lord told him that he was sending punishment, that it was of him, that he would correct his people. And Habakkuk was comforted by that and recognized that it was for the nation's own good that God was allowing the wicked nation as a judgment upon them. And therefore, in chapter 2, he turns to the Lord, accepting the reproof 
and looks to the Lord for the correction and for the justice that he will ultimately bring even against that wicked nation that was used to judge Israel. And the Lord speaks of the day when the tables will be turned and Babylon will be given the wrath of the Lord. And as we know in Revelation, it's doubled according to the cup of misery and woe that Babylon had inflicted upon the people of God. And it is emphasized here that the wrath of God against Babylon has particularly to do with the violence connected with idolatry, which in our day translates to the taking of money by force on the part of governments, the taking of the labors and life force of the people, making their life pointless and their labor a complete waste. I don't know about you, but I've experienced that. I know what this is talking about. And I've also experienced the contrary. I've experienced Bitcoin, and I have seen how it has changed my life, how it has given me my life back. And that means so much to me. And when it says in verse 20, But the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. This is commanding respect, because God is bringing justice. That is something that I am so grateful for. And now, as we transition into chapter 3, we read the prayer of Habakkuk. It says in verse 1, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shigionos. Surely I butchered that, but that's the name of the song. Verse 2, O Lord, I have heard thy speech, thy voice. I heard the voice of God, wow, and was afraid. That doesn't necessarily mean fearful. It just means in awe, amazed. It was serious. I took it seriously. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath. Remember mercy. So we are speaking here of the time of God's wrath. And the prayer of Habakkuk is that God, even in the midst of his wrath, would remember to have mercy. Is that not happening today? that God through Bitcoin is having mercy on those who seek the ways of justice, the ways of righteousness, while at the same time he's exercising his wrath upon the wicked powers of this world. In verse 3, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. Have we not seen the signs of the heavens? And has the earth not become full of his praise through the expansion of Bitcoin? And his brightness, verse 4, his brightness was as the light. What is light? It is electromagnetic radiation. Is it not electricity also? When you pay your light bill, isn't that the same as paying your electric bill? Doesn't electricity travel at the speed of light? And his brightness was as the light. His brightness, his power is glory. Does Bitcoin use electricity? Do miners require a lot of light, a lot of power, a lot of electricity? We spoke in a previous episode about the voice of God like many waters. Fascinating subject. If you aren't familiar with that, listen to that episode. It spoke here also in verse 2. I have heard thy speech. Habakkuk is saying, I heard you speak, Lord. I heard your voice. 
I heard the voice of God like many waters. That's what Habakkuk is saying. And verse 4, and his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand. Horns can mean rays, as in rays of light. It can mean literally the shape of a horn. It can mean symbolically power, as horns symbolize power. Horns are used to represent kings. It can be a symbol for sovereignty. All symbols that correspond to Bitcoin, light, electricity, power, rays, sovereignty, coming out of his hand, not your keys, not your coins. What you hold in your hand with Bitcoin is your power. There was the hiding of his power. Hiding. You hide your private key. Do you have Bitcoin in your hand? Do you have power hiding in your secret key? There are many levels to understanding the symbolism of God's prophecies. Verse 5. Before him went the pestilence, and burning coals went forth at his feet. You can read this in many ways. It sounds like God is destroying. The pestilence went before him. Have we seen the pestilence? Did it come before? And burning coals went forth at his feet. Is God not a consuming fire? Is Bitcoin not consuming all other currencies? Everywhere it walks, everywhere it goes, everywhere it steps. Verse 6, he stood and measured the earth. Wow, did we not study about that? I just mentioned how 21 million coins, the hard cap of Bitcoin, puts a measurement on the whole world. The whole world's wealth is measured by 21 million coins. I did a couple of episodes about that recently. Deep, deep subjects. He stood and measured the earth. He put a measurement upon the earth in financial terms. He beheld and drove asunder the nations. By putting a hard cap on the value of the earth, God is driving asunder. He's putting down. He's diminishing the nations, depreciating the nations. And the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. Now we can dissect this a little bit. Mountains and hills represent nations. It says the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. They worshipped. His ways are everlasting. Now, if we look at Bitcoin as a monetary system, in contrast to every other form of money that has ever existed in this world, Bitcoin is everlasting by comparison. Every other currency has devalued away or will devalue away. But Bitcoin, because of its hard cap, will not. It will increase in value and it will be everlasting, or it can be everlasting in principle. His ways are everlasting. That is what is represented by Bitcoin. In contrast to the monies of the world, to the monies of the nations, even the everlasting mountains, even the nations of heaven, the eternal nations of the angels were scattered and the perpetual hills did bow in worship to God. Were not a third of the angels cast out of heaven? Were they not scattered? And remember that scattering, as in the story of the Tower of Babel, is how God 
countered the centralization that was threatening at that time. Today, it is also centralization that is threatening this world. Those evil angels of the everlasting mountains of heaven, of the nations of heaven, have reestablished a kingdom here on earth with that same centralized power, Satan's power, the power of the dead. But God's power is to scatter them and thereby diffuse the evil. And how is he doing that today? Through a decentralized system, through Bitcoin. I focused on that in several of my earlier episodes and showed how God decentralized the powers of wickedness in times past in order to give his people the opportunity to overcome the powers of evil. Wow, there is really a lot to unpack in that verse, verse 6. Going on to verse 7. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea, that thou didst ride upon thine horses and thy chariots of salvation? Remember, rivers stand for commerce, commerce of the people. The sea stands for the masses. Was the Lord displeased with the commerce? Was he angry with the people? Is that why he came with an army of salvation? Verse 9. Thy bow was made quite naked. Whose bow? The bow of Jesus Christ, represented by Orion in the heavens with his bow. Thy bow was made quite naked. And those who know what time we're living in know that there's a comet there describing the bow at this very moment. Thy bow was made quite naked according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, Selah. Interesting figures here, and interesting that it says his bow is even his word. Very significant. Thou didst cleave the earth with rivers. Okay, now that's saying that the earth was divided by rivers. Verse 10, the mountains saw thee, and they trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hands on high. Now, this is describing in prophetic language and symbolic language the wrath of God. It is describing his coming, and it's talking about how the earth is divided by rivers. And it says, the mountains or nations saw thee, and they trembled. Do we have nations trembling because of Bitcoin today? And do we have rivers dividing the nations? What does Bitcoin have to do with rivers? Have you ever heard of clean energy? Have you ever heard of hydroelectric power? And are you aware that Bitcoin miners are seeking out renewable energy, particularly hydroelectric power, because it's the cleanest form of energy and the most practical for running Bitcoin mining? for powering for the light and power of Bitcoin. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered his voice. Now, what happens when water overflows and passes by? Have you ever heard the sound of water overflowing? Like, for example, have you ever heard of water falling over the edge? That's overflowing. That's, that's a waterfall. Have you ever heard the sound of a waterfall? When the water passes by, passes over the edge, when the deep utters his voice, and splashes up and lifts up his hands on high. Again, listen to the voice of God like many waters, my previous episode. 
the miners. If you've ever heard the sound of a Bitcoin mine, the noise is like the sound of a waterfall. Verse 11. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of thine arrows they went, and at the shining of thy glittering spear. Interesting. Interesting. Now, this could be a reference to the time of Joshua when he commanded the sun and the moon to stand still. And at that time, hail rained down on the wicked, on the enemies of Israel. That could be described here as the light of thine arrows, the hail from heaven, the arrows of God from Orion, his shining, glittering spear. But this could also have another meaning. The sun and the moon standing still is a symbol for time standing still. We measure time, we measure days, we measure years by the movement of the sun. We measure months by the movement of the moon. And if the sun and the moon stand still, that's symbolic of time standing still. And yet it doesn't say they stood still entirely. It says, at the light of thine arrows, they went. So they didn't stand still permanently. They went. They moved. They kept going. Time kept going on. But it was at the light of thine arrows, at the light of God's arrows, that time went on. And it was at the shining of his glittering spear that time went on. In other words, when the hail conquered the enemies of Israel in the time of Joshua, then the sun and moon resumed their movements. In the same way today, Bitcoin is doing something really special. It's a clock. You know that. We've talked about that in previous episodes as well. It's a time chain. Tick tock next block. On average, a new block is added to the blockchain every 10 minutes. Transactions, contracts, are measured on the blockchain in terms of number of blocks. They're measured in terms of time as defined by the blockchain. When you lock funds in a lightning channel or you do any kind of a time lock contract, HTLC as it's called, hash time lock contract, this involves time as defined by the Bitcoin blockchain. Commerce. You understand what this means. All commerce rivers, right? We talked about the flowing rivers. All commerce over the Lightning Network happens according to time as defined by the Bitcoin blockchain. That is the timekeepers of the sun and moon standing still. That is the rivers not moving, ceasing to flow, except at the light of God's arrows and the shining of his glittering spear, except at the command of his weapons. And yes, Bitcoin is God's weapon against the wicked world. Wow, this is amazing stuff. Verse 12, Thou didst march through the land in indignation. This is God's wrath. Marching through the land as Bitcoin expands, taking over the heathen in anger. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Where have we seen threshing before? Flashback to Daniel. Let's go there real quick. Daniel chapter 2. This is the story of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which describes the kingdoms of the world, the successive kingdoms of the world, and their riches, their value, their worth, which ultimately was broken 
as described by the metals of gold, silver, bronze, and iron, and finally clay, depicting the devaluation, the successive weakening of the financial currency until the coming of Jesus Christ, the stone. Verse 34 of Daniel chapter 2, Thou sawest till a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, cut out without hands, mind, in other words, a money that's not physical, not made with hands, but it's mind, like a stone cut out of a mountain. Thou sawest that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Do you see how this is depicting all of the fiat currencies, the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, the gold, and how they devalue, they become light and worthless and blow away in the wind like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. Does this not fit with what Habakkuk saw that the Lord in his wrath threshed the nations? Skipping down to verse 44 of Daniel 2. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. Do we see Bitcoin as a financial foundation for a new kingdom, for the kingdom of God here on earth? Do we see it as a system to prepare us and educate us for living and reigning in heaven? Do we see Bitcoin coming onto the scene like the famous poster of the asteroid smashing the banking dinosaurs, like the stone cut out without hands coming down and breaking the kingdoms of this world? Do we see this coming as a financial system that can last forever, which shall never be destroyed, reflecting the kingdom of God that shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Verse 45, For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. Now what did we read in Habakkuk? Let's go back to Habakkuk. We read that God instructed Habakkuk to make the prophecy plain on tables of stone. Why? Because the vision is certain and the interpretation is sure. Back to Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 12. Do you see how much is encompassed in one word? Thresh. Thou didst march through the land in indignation. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Verse 13. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people. It's not all destruction. For God's people, it is salvation. Even for salvation with thine anointed, thou woundedst the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation unto the neck. Selah. We've been talking about the financial foundations of society. And, and, and God, it, says, it, it describes here in gruesome terms how God has wounded the head of the house of the wicked. 
Who's the head of the house of the wicked? Those are the financial powers, the leaders of the nations and those who control them through the financial system. Those are the heads of the house of the wicked. And it says that God wounded those heads by discovering or uncovering the foundation unto the neck. In other words, the head rests on the neck. It's the neck that turns the head. And what is the foundation of the heads of the kingdoms? It's the financial system. It's the financial system that is the neck that turns the head. And God has uncovered that. And through Bitcoin, God gives a wound to the head of the house of the wicked. He's decapitating the wicked, just as he promised in the very beginning that although Satan would bruise the heel of the Savior, God would crush the head of the serpent. Verse 14, Thou didst strike through with his staves the head of his villages. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was as to devour the poor secretly. Isn't that what they do through inflation and all their monetary games, through lending, as is done so effectively in Africa, for example, to spoil the wealth of the poor. Africa is not that poor in terms of its natural resources and potential, but the nations secretly, through monetary policy, devour the poor. Verse 15, Thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses, through the heap of great waters, amidst the people, in other words. When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself, that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. That's to say, here Habakkuk in these two verses is expressing the fear that he felt that we read about in the beginning. When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself, that I might rest in the day of trouble when he cometh up unto the people. In other words, Habakkuk would have been satisfied to be laid to rest, to not see that day. He was not seeking gain. He was not seeking greatness. And in verse 17, this is the right attitude that God's people should have at this point in time, as God is making his judgments. It's not about gains. It's not about getting rich. It's not about wealth and power. It says, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. In other words, all the produce, all the bounty of earthly things shall fail in the time of trouble. That's the time that we're living in now. But despite all of that, Habakkuk says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Do you take joy in the Lord today? Do you appreciate his salvation? Are you glad for Bitcoin and for the opportunity to have your life preserved even through this time of trouble. Verse 19, closing out the book, he says, The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon 
mine high places. In other words, able to climb mountains. This whole chapter was a song to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Interesting that he mentions his personal stringed instruments, just as this podcast about Bitcoin and about what God is doing to judge the world with Bitcoin, how he is bringing justice to the financial system, to the foundations of the nations of this world, that this was described to the tune of Habakkuk's stringed instruments, just as it so happened that this podcast has been recorded to the tune of my own personal stringed instrument. I couldn't have planned that. I'm just a pleb, and I frankly just didn't have many options and took advantage of what was available to me for the production of this podcast. This makes episode number 40, and I've been wondering if the Lord might have a message, a special message for this particular episode. And I think after reading this book, Habakkuk, in this past week, it has become clear that this whole book is a summary. It's a song. It's a short picture to the tune of stringed instruments, as we see now, describing the course of the Babylonian captivity from before Babylon's conquest of Jerusalem to the time of Babylon's destruction. In the symbolic sense, we too have gone through our captivity, so to speak. I personally can identify very well with the prophet Habakkuk here, where he describes his desire to rest in the day of trouble, and that even though there won't be prosperity in the time of trouble, he will rejoice in the Lord. That is the attitude that I want to have. I want to take joy in the God of my salvation. I want to praise him for mingling mercy with justice, so that as Bitcoin goes out to consume the wicked nations, at the same time it provides sustenance for God's people. And as we are at the time of the end of the Babylonian captivity, the time when the nations should fall, here in this 40th episode, I feel that in a certain way, in this year, 2024, I I'm also at the end of my 40 weeks or 40 days because I record once a week, like the 40 days spying out the land and the subsequent 40 years wandering in the the wilderness that was a foreshadowing of the captivity in Babylon, after which the children of Israel went in to conquer the land of Canaan, the land of the giants which we've spoken about also in previous episodes. Check out my episodes on artificial intelligence, especially the most recent one. And so it really seems to me that the time has come for Babylon's fall, and I want to encourage everyone to take this seriously, especially in the next three months or so, and do your due diligence to practice All that you know is good in the context of financial matters, and particularly to withdraw your Bitcoin from exchanges and from all custodial platforms and hold that securely under your private keys. Do multi-sig if necessary. Take all the appropriate precautions to secure your funds so that you can rejoice in the Lord and take joy in his salvation even when the world is 
in trouble and the bounties of the earth fail. Bitcoin will be there for you as a store of value that does not rot and decay and inflate away like the chaff of the summer threshing floor as time passes. So there you have it. That was our message for today. It touched me very deeply, and I hope that it was also a great blessing to you. And I want to encourage you to share these podcasts, share this episode with those you love, and encourage them to stay faithful to the Lord and keep looking to Him for their salvation, and to put their fear, so to speak, their good fear, their healthy fear in the Lord, and not be afraid of the powers of this world, because those powers are being broken by the Lord. Thank you for listening to Bitcoin Sermons, and please share this podcast. You can find it on the Fountain app, where you can also comment and contribute and support this podcast by sending Satoshis by the Lightning Network that we talked about in this episode. The light of God that shines from His hands like rays of light. You can zap me those rays of light directly to Bitcoin Sermons at fountain.fm. You can find me on Noster by searching for Bitcoin Sermons. And you can go to the source of this podcast, to the host, at bitcoinsermons.substack.com. And you may also contact me at bitcoinsermons at substack.com. It was an interesting episode, in my opinion, and I'm looking forward to what the Lord might have in store next week. I hope to talk to you then, and in the meantime, I wish you a blessed week in the fear of the Lord and in the strength of His power. God be with you. Amen.